Thank you, Yannicka. Um, we were all subdued. Did you notice? There's just a little bit of noise in the background, but for the most part, we were subdued, I think, with the testimony and the reality of God's faithfulness. And, uh, and you're right, Yannicka, love has its place um, in terms of affection and emotion, but that wanes. And so what keeps us together, in addition to that, is just the faithfulness that you sang about, the commitment and the faithfulness. And so that's what the whole package is about. Appreciate you sharing your heart. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here. And I know it's been, uh, it's been cold. All, the weather's been bad. There's still the sickness and stuff going around. So I'm, I'm blessed to see your faces here this morning. And I don't take that for granted. And we are going to have a baby dedication just a little bit later in the service. So um, looking forward to that as well. We might have some noise in the baby section. Somehow that turned into the baby section. Now we've got some in the back too. But um, we are in the book of Second Corinthians. And we have uh, completed five chapters of this book. And we will venture into chapter 6 this morning. And you'll recall that Second Corinthians, it's a different kind of book in that... This book, more than ever, the Apostle Paul shares his personal experiences about his Christian life. So he talks a little less about specific things in the church. He talks a lot about his personal life. And so some would consider it to be somewhat autobiographical. And what we find out as we look at Paul's Christian pilgrimage is that he suffers a lot. Have you noticed that? We're not even finished, halfway finished through the book. And as he shares his personal experience, he suffers a lot. A lot of hardship is a daily part of his experience. Uh, It's been brutal, in fact. He has uh, suffered um, psychological hardships, physical hardships, spiritual hardships, near-death experiences, mockings and... And just the whole gamut of things that we as humans can suffer in this world, the Apostle Paul has endured. And he's endured these atrocities, I'd say, simply because of his obedience to Christ. Because he is choosing in his life to follow the Lord. And yet in all of these hardships that he's experienced and as he shares his life with us. I was taken aback in the sense that not once have I heard any thoughts of a victim mentality. Like life is as hard as it can get, I would say, for for somebody in his circumstances. And yet, not once do I pick up a hint of that. He doesn't shrivel up and wait for better circumstances or more favorable treatment or even justice to be done before he continues to plow on. And so I want to just take a few minutes before we read our text because the, and to challenge us in our mindset because he talks so much about suffering. And I think Paul has an important understanding about suffering that I'd like for us to also share in, or at least be challenged in. And how, how do you take it? Because we know that the Apostle Paul, he just keeps on going. But it's not just 
white knuckle. It's not just grin and bear it until it's all over. There's something else there that is motivating him and enabling him to go. And I think it makes a difference because life can be so hard. It makes a difference how we perceive our circumstances. So just think about for a second, the Apostle Paul, there were things that came into his life were uh, that he was born into, say. So he was born into Roman uh, era of Roman occupation. Rome had already taken over the Middle East before Paul was born. And the Romans were not nice people. They ruled through brutality. They, ru- they ruled through force. And it was all about power. And so he suffered simply by being born into that political atmosphere. He suffered hardships. He didn't ask for that. He suffered that. Well, he was also born into, I guess you would say, religious hardships in the sense that by the time he was born, a lot of the Jewish leaders had made the law not warm and freeing, but cold and burdensome. And so he was born into an era where not only did he have to obey the the scriptures, but there was this the man made laws and principles that were added to how to apply the law of God. He didn't ask for that. And there were hardships. Jesus spoke about these hardships and the extra burdens that some of the Jewish leaders had put on people. Well, then you have his transformation in his Christian life. And he is suffering through hardships. Because, not because he's a victim. And not because he didn't have a choice. And not because he was born into it. But maybe because you might say that he was reborn into it. He's suffering hardships because of his own volition. His own choice to follow Christ. And that's a different perspective. Because when you choose to go against the ways of the world. When you choose to make hard decisions as a Christian. Jesus even told us you can expect to be persecuted. You can expect to suffer why is that a part of the package? I mean, why? how alluring is that? Who would want to sign the dotted line for periodical suffering? Why do the hardships come? Perhaps you remember in Acts chapter 17 when the Apostle Paul and actually uh, his, his Christian buddy Silas went into Thessalonica and they were preaching the gospel. And many came to Christ. But some of the Jewish leaders got very, very jealous. They were very irate and furious. And they, they stirred up trouble. And they said this in Acts chapter 17. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus now, he, th- this was to stir up trouble, but they're absolutely right. That's why there was this conflict, a cold front, if you will, and a storm. Because these disciples were saying there is a king, a real king, a true king, and he is over every earthly king. And that changes things. And what they didn't get right is they said that there 
they accused them of turning the world upside down. What really what they were doing is turning it right, by, right side up. But you're living upside down, but they want to turn it right side up. So all of this whole different mindset and the loyalty to a different authority and the loyalty to a different king clashes in our upside down world. And we, to different degrees, are going to suffer for that. Why? We didn't ask for it necessarily, but we will because of our choice to follow this King Jesus and not go around and follow the fads and not uh, not fall for different ideas and ideologies and philosophies and religions, but hailing Christ as true. As we sang that last song, you're a moment, we are a moment, but you are forever. It, it reminded me of God's comprehensive vision and rightness and wrongness. And we'll talk a little bit about this this morning. That the world is not right. It's not right until every breath is singing praise and bowing before the one true God. It's, it's just not as glorious as he is. It is not right to not honor him and praise him and give every breath to him and do everything with the motivation that he is real, he is true, he is our deliverer. So there's something that's not right and that's what Christ is correcting as I speak. He is continuing to remove the world from this curse. And so I know to different degrees, it's not when you become a believer, it's not like I want to suffer. And I'm not asking for it. But it is thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. So what, what we do when we believe is Christ, in Christ is we're saying, you are my center. And I'm going to follow you. And sometimes that may take me to mountaintops and joys that are beyond this world. And other times it might take me into the slums of this world. And the filth and the evil of this world. But that's not the point. The point is, I'm with you. I'm following you. You're my king. I believe in you. I wholeheartedly trust you. I give my life to you. I put my emotions in your hands. You see, that's what makes a difference. And I wanted to kind of set that straight because Paul talks so much about suffering. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, about it again this morning. And we, we have to understand that as much as it hurts and as painful as it is, it's not all just because of the injustices in the world. It's because of the choice we made. It's because of the calling on our lives. It's a thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And it can be hard. You know, and a lot of people, they start out in the Christian life and they begin to ask that question. Oh, is it worth it? And begin to see, well, you know, really, actually, uh, this is a lot harder than my life used to be. Not believing in Christ or not following him. People fall away like this in 2 Timothy 4.10. Remember, uh, Demas started out with the Apostle Paul in his ministry. And then Paul says these scathing words. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It's too hard. So what, what was his focus? So perhaps there are some here this morning just kind of facing these kind of temptations or asking 
gosh, is, is following Christ worth it? That's for you to decide. That's what we all have to decide based on what we know in life and what we have experienced. Is Jesus our King? Is He worthy? Can He really redeem me? Can He really save me? And bring that love and that peace, not just into my heart, but into this world and to to rearrange this fallen, cursed world of disorder back to a world of glory and honor and rightness. So, Paul has shared with the Corinthians about his sufferings. And he's also shared his motivations. And we found that his motivation was his love for God. He just believed in God. And so that's why he does what he does. That's why he endures, but also because of God's love for him, perhaps more importantly. Because our love can grow weak, but God's love does not. And his love is on us. And knowing that is a game changer. So he's suffering volitionally. He's suffering by his own choice because what he believes and because it has become such a deep conviction that come what may, I threw my life into the hands of Christ. I can't live in this world any longer without following him. He is my greatest joy, even in the midst of suffering. So there's a mindset, I think, that will serve us well as we look at this book, but will serve us well as we live our lives for Christ. Having said that, let's read our text this morning. And it is chapter 6, but I'm just going to read the last two verses in chapter 5, just so you know where Paul is coming from, because he had already talked about um, us being ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians. Uh, we'll, we'll do chapter five twenty, and then get into 6. So therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. 
We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Now, let's unpack this. And we've talked about this before. The Apostle Paul's already mentioned this before. But the first thing that he reminds them of or makes an appeal to them is that their grace, not God's grace, not be in vain. What does he mean by that? That it's not taken advantage of, that it's not looked at too likely. So the first point is because this is the day of salvation. He, he's working with God, he says, and he makes this appeal to not receive the grace of God in vain. In a favorable time, the Lord says, I listen to you in a day of salvation. I have helped you. Now's a favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. So the, the appeal in chapter five was to be reconciled to God. His appeal now is to do it quickly. Be reconciled to God and do it quickly. Because he talks about this age of grace, this age of God's favor, the age of God's mercy in times or in terms of time as a day. It's, it's an era. It's an age. But if there's, an, if there's a day of salvation, if there's a, a seasonal favorable time, then there's also a day of an unfavorable time. There's all, in other words, there's an end. When you speak in terms of time, you have the time spots, the beginning and then the middle and then the end. So there's a timeline, Scripture tells us. And we don't want just to assume that this offer, this crazy free gift offer of salvation, this offer of, I'll exchange my righteousness for your sins. This crazy, un, almost unreasonable offer of grace and favor and forgiveness for the debt of sin. It's not going to last forever. And our temptation can be to think, well, the world's just going to keep going like this in the gospel. I have time. If I have anything, I have time and I'm not sure about uh, where I stand with Christ as my king. I'm not sure about what I want to give up. And the Apostle Paul's basically telling the Corinthians that's a mistake. It's a mistake to think that way, because just as there is an era of the age of salvation, there's also an era where it's not a favorable time, where the the gospel will not go out, where the offer of forgiveness will not be available to you. It's just a period, but it's for a limited time. Only these sequence of days. So this offer of salvation will not be there forever. It's our opportunity. So what is this? It's an opportunity for those of us who have not confessed Christ, made that confession of, of faith, to maybe get a little kick in the pants and say, well, if you're going to put it that way, I don't know when the door's going to shut. We don't know when the door's going to shut. But we're taking God's grace for granted. We're, we're, we're making it vain by assuming that's just going to be there when I want it. That I'm in control of my salvation. And he won't turn me down on my terms. The Apostle Paul is reminding us that this offer of salvation is on God's terms. 
God's timeline. But it's also a kick in the pants, I would say, for those of us who are saved. Why? Well, because if there's a limited time where the gospel can go out, there's a limited time of salvation, then I better get busy, right? Because God's called me as an ambassador. I better get a little busier in my effectiveness in witnessing and sharing the love of Christ and sharing the truths of Christ. There's There's no time to waste. It seems like there is. But there's not. And sadly, there will come a day when God will not answer that cry for help. And based on those terms, we want to take every advantage of the grace of God that is available to us. So, the age of salvation. Then Paul says something very interesting here. And it's what I'm going to call no-fault ministry. He goes to great lengths in this passage to describe how he deals with people, how he conducts his Christian life, his witness, and his ministry. Now, uh, just a few minutes ago as I was standing up here, you know how you can have more, you can have more thoughts than... Uh, one, in a sense, in other words, I'm preaching words, but I'm also having the thoughts as I think about this passage that is heavy for those that are in Christian ministry or where well, we're all in Christian ministry, but for those that uh, are, are pretty active and have a heart for it. And I'm thinking about people in this congregation. This applies, like this This congregation is pretty packed with people who, who are very active in ministry. And so... Um, I think that's pretty need of God to to feed us his word. And so we are the people uh, that are um, this applies to. In the sense that we are, I guess, more active than passive. And there's been times in my life when when I have been passive. But God has just brought this congregation to this place. So what do I mean by no-fault no ministry? Let's listen to Paul's word. Here's, here's what he's saying. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments. And he goes on and on and on. Uh, by truthful speech, power of God, and the weapons of righteousness. So, Paul is clear about how he ministers, what he's about. And he is extremely careful to make sure that he properly represents the message of the gospel and that he represents properly the God that he serves. And he he goes to such lengths as to Endure many personal sacrifices to make sure that God and his message are properly represented. So, in, in essence, he, he's saying if, if, you, if you have an excuse why you're not following this king and worshiping this king, it's not going to be from, from the way I have dealt with you. It's not going to come from me because I deceived you or I scammed you with so that's that's um, Paul's mindset here. It's how important it is for him in this age of salvation to properly represent the gospel. 
And he wants to make sure that as he ministers to people, they know that this isn't some kind of scam. There's lots of those. This isn't some kind of hoax. There are lots of those out there. He sees it since in verse 1, we are working together with him. In other words, we're ambassadors of Christ. We're working with God. We represent God. Now, we know that Paul can't control everything. He's not saying, I can control your decision. That's between you and God. But he is owning his part of the equation in Christian ministry. And in order to be so sincere, he has to endure all of these things. So, in essence, uh, he's saying, look, we're sincere. We're not trying to cheat you. We're not trying to get anything from you that we haven't earned, that we don't deserve. We're not trying to deceive you. We're not trying to make the gospel sound like something it isn't or vice versa. And, and if that means that sometimes to prove my point or to remain truthful and sincere, I have to go hungry. If it means I got to spend time in prison or endure inflictions, uh, I expect you to think deeply. I, I want you to be cautious and to weigh out the decision about your life and what you worship. And I want to make sure that what I portray is treasured and pure because that's who God is. Uh, you may not share your lunch with me, but I'll share my lunch with you. Uh, you may not speak truth to me, but I'm going to speak truth. To you. you may not be patient and kind to me, but I'm going to be patient and kind to you. Because I want to take this age of salvation opportunity to properly bring you the best of my ability, the gospel, the saving gospel of Christ. That's where I'm coming from. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. That's my deal. And there's an interesting word that he uses in verse 4 with great endurance. He endures these things, and that's, again, not just a grit by his own personal willpower. That word has to do with having a tremendous hope and faith in something as your motivation. So it's his hope and faith in what, who God is and what God is doing in this world is way greater than his present circumstances, and so it keeps him rolling, keeps him fueled to go. John MacArthur says he endured under the worst pressing difficulties, difficulties that came upon him from those who hated his ministry. And he endured under the most pressing obligation that came from God in heaven and that held him to the greatest and highest standard. Have you ever felt because of your confession in Christ, because of how good God is to you, an obligation? Like, it's just like the right thing to do. There's, there's these oughtnesses in Scripture where the apostles will say, based on this doctrine, you ought to be doing this or we ought to be doing this. And I think it's this oughtness in Christian ministry. Paul just takes it seriously. And as he reflects on the love of Christ and the forgiveness of God, and not just that, but also opening his eyes to the world to come and the hopes and the joys there, the truth. There's this obligation for him to do, to, to strive to do things as well as he possibly can. And so he endures these things. And sometimes that means a hell on earth kind of life for him. 
He just does it. He obeys God, he believes God, and he lets the chips fall where they may. So determined not to misrepresent Christ. Is that our motive? Is that something that when people from the outside look in at believers or the church, do they see a church or a people, God, that are just really sincere and determined above all things to not misrepresent the very God that they serve and have given their lives to? Or do we see compromises? Or do we see things misrepresented or blown out of proportion? How can he do this? How can he endure this? This is it's he sees it as his ministry job description. But then he gives us some practical reasons here. First of all, he says by truthful speech. So how can he endure these things by truthful speech? And the power of God and then with the weapon of righteousness. So let's just quickly unpack that. First of all, truthful speech, what does he mean by that? Well, he's just talking about the truth. The gospel message is the truth. So when somebody shares the gospel with you and says, Christ, you're a sinner. God's wrath is upon you. And unless you repent, you're going to hell. That's true. It sounds harsh, but it's just the reality of it because God is that worthy. It's also true that when we repent of our sins and place our faith in him, we have been justified by faith and we are heaven bound. And the spirit comes to live in us. That's just true. And so, in a sense, that's what keeps Paul going because he has the truth. That's a good feeling, right? Because the truth sets people free. Truthful speech. And secondly, by the power of God. It's the power of God through the word of truth. And he says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So there's something inherent about God's word. There's a power there. Because it's so true, it resonates. It has the ability to resonate with our hearts and our minds and our emotions. And let us know, wow, this I've, I've never heard words like this before. It's so clear. And I, I, I'm feeling this urge to believe it. Because it's true. There's a power in that. The gospel is the power of God to save, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So that's something that Paul has going for him. And because he has this true message and God's power behind it, he can continue. And then, lastly, he says, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So now we're talking about righteousness as a weapon to enable us to endure our Christian life. Now, I'm not used to hearing those terms. I, I, I can relate to, say, the sword of the spirit, right? Because I can visualize that or the shield of faith, the Captain America shield of faith. That can be offensive and defensive because he can throw that thing, right? So I can get that. But what, what, is a we, what, is, what kind of weaponry is righteousness? What does the Apostle Paul mean here? And he has it in both hands. So this is a serious weapon. Double-fisted here. He's talking about, and I'm going to resist the temptation to, to go ahead in this book because he talks about it in more detail. He's talking about spiritual warfare in the, in the realms of ideas. Because bad ideas have bad consequences. False, erroneous Things that people embrace as truth can be, well, it's dishonoring to God, but can be 
uh, devastating to a human heart, a little child's soul. And so he's talking about battling the lies, the philosophies of the world. Look how many competing philosophies of the world we have in our generation. It's incredible the options of beliefs or worldviews that we have. I know you could boil them down to just a few, but they're complex. And the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about righteousness, he's talking about, in essence, rightness. God is always right. His word stands. When he speaks, he's just... He's not deceiving. He's not manipulating. He's just telling you as it is. Truth is reality. It's that which corresponds to reality. So he is sharing this with you. When you have truth that corresponds to reality, there's power in that. And you bring down, in essence, when you share the gospel, you're bringing down strongholds and lies and things that we believed in. Or, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning... Chasing after false deliverers. Things that we think will get us what our hearts and souls are hungry for. And the Apostle Paul, the rightness or the truth of God's word. And we're talking about um, special revelation here. Things that he has specifically told us. It, it brings these strongholds down and these false ideas down. And so there's a power in that. I remember um, one of the things when I was converted, I was not only relieved of my sin, which was a wonderful feeling, because it was heavy, but I also was, was overjoyed by this sensation of feeling like I actually know truth now. Like I'm not being jerked around by this or that and, and these, these false promises, but, but everything just... My life got more real, if you will. And how it, it puts my... Well, we build on the rock, right? It puts your life and everything on something that you can rely on. You don't have to keep second-guessing this. It's truth, and it's a power there, and it's a rightness. And so, when we share the gospel, when we live as we live, it's because it's the right thing to do, and it's the right way to live. It's how God would intend us to do. And it's appealing. And it's powerful. And then Paul talks about the, the no-fault ministry. And then he shares a little bit about the paradox of ministry. And this is something that if you're a believer, you have experienced in your life as well. Through honor and dishonor, slander, praise, all these contrasts here. We're treated as impostors, yet we're true. And as unknown, yet well-known. Dying, yet we live. Punished, not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich. So these things are what has happened in Paul's life, and they, they contrast, so it's a paradox. And he says, uh, you know, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There are things that happen concurrently in our lives when we follow Christ. It's, it's, you don't escape reality when you choose to live for Christ. You still live in a broken, cursed world and our bodies still wear out and there's still injustices. There's many things that cause suffering in this world and we're still a part of that. We're not going to escape that. And yet, at the same time, we're overjoyed because of the Holy Spirit in our lives and because of what God is doing. And we're so grateful because of the grace 
and mercy that he has extended to us. So he's feeling all these things at the same time. When it comes down to ministry, have you ever noticed that there are some groups of people that can't get enough of your ministry? They can't get enough of your Christian friendship. They can't get enough of your Bible teaching or your small group or whatever your niche is. Restoration or reaching young or reaching old or whatever it is. And yet there's others who could not be more against what you're sharing or more against what you are trying to accomplish in this life, what you're trying to build. And that's the paradox. See, with Christian merit in Christian ministry, you're gaining new friends and new appreciation and, and honor, and yet at the same time, new enemies. And it brings us back to the beginning. Why? Well, because Christ is turning the world right side up and not everybody likes that. I remember when I didn't like that. I remember when I rejected the truth and I rejected the gospel. It just seemed uh, I didn't want to give up my sin. And so there are those that will not warmly welcome us. Even though we speak the truth sincerely and in love, there are those that will not like it. They like the upside down. They like alike the life of darkness. And there will be opposition that comes with that. And so that's the paradox here. Uh, you know, you get this great new position in ministry and you think you're set in life. And yet with it, uh, you get hate mail. Or whatever the, they do on social media. So there's a paradox there that the Apostle Paul talks about. It's like it's both at the same time. A wonderful awareness of ministry. And we, won't, we don't want to misrepresent the gospel. Let me wrap this up. I think about how Paul goes to great lengths to say, I'm not in it for the money. I'm not in it because it's, it's, now I have this rosy life. It's carefree. It's suffer-free. Everything is wonderful. It's not false advertising. And you don't have to go far in the Christian world to see false advertising as far as what does it mean to live for Christ? Who is God? You take little aspects of the Christian faith and blow them out of proportion and make it look like something it's not. Whether it's a life of riches, a life of comfort, a life of ease. As we talked about in Sunday school. So if I'm obeying God, then my life will go well. I'll be rich and prosperous. And if I'm not rich and prosperous, I must be disobeying God. There's a lot of false advertising out there. So... We want to just be challenged this morning to look at our lives, to look at our faith, to who have we put Christ first and are we making those kind of decisions, whether it leads us to a place of joy or a place of suffering. We are pleased because we want to honor this God that loves us so much and whom we love so much. I'll close with this quote. It's from John Piper. So instead of being embittered and frustrated and angry and resentful by all the afflictions and hardships and calamities and labors and sleepless nights, by God's grace, Paul has shown patience, kindness, and love. His spirit has not been broken by the pain of his ministry. In the Holy Spirit, he has found resources to give and not to grumble. Be patient in God's timing rather than pity himself. 
to be kind to people rather than take it out on others. May God bless the preaching of His Word.